Hi, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast, where we share positive stories and suggestions about finding hope, resources, and connections to help us all get through hard times. I'm Karen Sullivan, a mom, an author, and a stage four cancer patient who's always looking around me for inspiration. I believe in surrounding myself with people and experiences that make me smile. And that's what I'm hoping to do for you today. So grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am so excited to introduce you to Reshma Kapaldas. You may have come across her work while watching The Daily Show, CNN, and Good Morning America, to name just a few. She's a journalist, a writer, head of video at She Media, and host of her own podcast, Son of a Binge. What makes all of this even more impressive is that on top of a highly acclaimed career in entertainment and media, where she interviews big-name stars from some of our favorite shows, she also centers a lot of her work on women's health and rights. She's not only remarkable on paper, she's also full of authentic, positive energy. On today's episode of Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast, Reshma will share her story of being touched by cancer. We will talk about our culture of quote-unquote strength and how to navigate if you're getting tangled in that toxic positivity web. Hi, thank you for being here. Of course, it's my pleasure. Every time you say touched by cancer, I feel like it's a little angel that we both just got touched by. (laughs) Well, and it's funny you say that because... I think that quote unquote touched by cancer can go in so many different directions because listen, you and I both touched by cancer. We literally had cancer touching our body, but my husband, he's touched by cancer too. And he's hasn't had cancer, but he was there during the journey. And so, so I said that and use those words in a way because it can be defined in so many different ways. And that's part of this culture that we have that wants to put definition on all of our life's experiences. So, but first I would love for you to share us, share a little bit about your story and, you know, and and how you got here. Okay. So Touched by Cancer by Rachel Gavaldos. So I am the fourth woman in my family to be diagnosed with cancer. Um, I was diagnosed in 2014. I was the youngest out of everyone. Uh, My aunt got it first. That's my mother's sister. Then my mother got it. Um, and then my cousin, my aunt's daughter, she got it. She's six years older than me. And then I got it, um, in 2014, I had my first mammogram when I was, uh, like the, like a four months before I was diagnosed in 2013, I got it. And it was like sort of a, like weird apocalyptic years for me. Um, I think 2013 I was in, in with my family in an armed robbery, And then I was like, oh, okay, now I'm done with the bad luck. Um, And luckily we were all okay. It was just, you know, traumatic to go through. And then 2014 came around and I said to my, I think I said to my mom, I was like, you know, this is going to be the year that I'm going to get a big surgery. I think I'm going to do LASIK. And then I have a mammogram and they start to see things. And, um, and this is in 2013. And I, they saw something on my right breast. So they did a biopsy and then it turned out there was nothing. Um, they did an ultrasound, they did everything. Um, and then, you know, after that biopsy, I started to get a swelling underneath my uh, kind of on the side underneath my arm here. 
and they couldn't figure out what it was. And I, I feel like it was my body's just from reacting to the biopsy or something. And to this day, I still have that and they don't know what it is. And rather than just go in and kind of poke around, they decided to do an MRI. Um, this was probably in January of 2014. They discovered that they had missed cancer on this boob. Um, and I had just gone with my younger brother to Italy for a week. And when we got back, like two days later, I had the biopsy. Two days after that, I got the call at my office. And it was this, the, the doctor at the time. And she said, I'm so sorry, it's cancer. And that's how I got touched by cancer. And, and you know, I'm not someone who cries a lot by any means, but I like burst into tears. Because, you know, you just see everyone in your family going through it. And you know, I, I don't think I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my hair. I think we were just like so taken aback. I called my mom first. And I think she said to me a few years later, it was like the most one of the most shocking moments in her life. And it's so funny, if like looking back on it now, it's like, of course I got it. Like, I remember when and, you know, my brother was joking, but I remember when my cousin got diagnosed being the third. He did say, he's like, ooh, your boobs are doomed. And I didn't think of it that way. I don't know. You always think you're going to be immune and invincible. Um, and then I went within a month. Um, it was two weeks before my birthday. Um, I was I had gotten a lumpectomy. Um, thankfully, knock on wood, I didn't need chemo um, because of the type of cancer. My mom and I had this, the same type of cancer, except she got it post-menopause and I got it very pre-menopause. And my aunt and my cousin have, they had more similar cancers. My cousin had triple, triple negative, which is super aggressive. My aunt had her two positive, super aggressive. And then last year, my aunt's cancer came back and she ended up having to get, actually it didn't come back. Three different types of breast cancers came into play and she had to get a double mastectomy. So she is definitely out of all of us been through like quite a lot and my cousin too, in terms of, you know, the type of treatment. But I would say like, because it hit me the youngest, I think my life has been affected in terms of, you know, whether I can have children and things like that. So cancer has definitely, you can say we've all been touched by cancer, our entire family you know, from my brother to my dad to to everyone. Uh, it's just something we have to think about. And it's something that my cousin's kids and my brother's daughter, they're going to all have to think about, um, which, which kind of sucks. Well, let's sit with that for a second. Yeah. We know that cancer sucks, but sometimes there's so many wonderful people around us me included, I do it to myself, right? Yeah. But don't take the time to really just sit there and and revel in how much this blows. Yeah. Because with cancer, as you know, and really for the listener out there, any diagnose, like maybe any hardship, truly, but definitely any illness, you have choices, but sometimes you're, you really just have to put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. And- Sometimes you choose to tell people, sometimes you choose not to tell people, whatever path makes sense for whomever deciding that. Can you share what did you, like, did you tell work or did you not? Did you tell friends? Did you not? Oh, yeah. And how did people react? Okay. So in terms of how people reacted, um, I think everyone was shocked just because of, you know, the, the age I got it at and like you, you know, we, we got hit with it and 
or early thirties or whatever. And, um, I think there was just pure shock that went around. In fact, like two of my good friends had been at my apartment probably like two weeks before, before my biopsy. And they were like, there's no way you have cancer. Like if you have cancer, we're going to take, we'll take you to see book of Mormon. And I just want you to know that I got cancer and I have still never seen book of Mormon. And I just want to put Lauren and Jen on notice but then Lauren did it's take still it playing it's still playing right but it's still playing you're not maybe your anything. 10 year maybe your 10 year anniversary cancerversary you'll go see Book of Mormon I can't next wait. year uh, <laughs> but well noted all right continue so you know in terms of my family I think it it sent like kind of ripple effects through um but we're also a machine so everyone my my cousin was on the phone with her breast surgeon um, I, she and I both have been seen by Memorial Sloan Kettering. Um, all of us got second opinions at Dave, Dana Farber. And, you know, so it unfortunately was this machine that already existed because all of us had gone through it so much already. So, you know, there was safety and I felt good about that. And the first thing the breast surgeon said to me is like, you do not need a mastectomy. We're not recommending that for you, which was a relief because one of the first doctor who ran, ran the MRI and had called and told me I had cancer the next day, she's like, she's like, listen, you can, um, there's a lot of options and we didn't even know anything. So I'm surprised she said this to me so early, but she's like, you know, you could probably get a lumpectomy. Maybe you'll do chemo, maybe radiation. She's like, or, um, you might just want to get a mastectomy and then you don't have to worry about anything. And I was like, <laughs> too much information too <laughs> early. So I need some data. Yeah. And meanwhile, before, my cousin's yeah. daughters had overheard her talking to my mother on the phone the night I got diagnosed. And they were like, they were trying to listen and they're like, and they must've been, I think like nine and seven at the time or something. And they were, um, they were like, I think Aunt Jerishma has cancer. I think she, oh. And they were really upset because they're like, oh, she has such great hair because their mother lost her hair. Their grandmother did. So like, that's how they associate cancer. And uh, thankfully I, I still have my hair. Yeah, you're, I hope, it's I hope it, I hope it stays as long as it, it can. Um, but, uh, you know, everyone, like my, my aunt set the tone in our family. She's um, got a like great sense of humor. And um, I grew up in a household of six people. It was my grandparents, my mom's parents who uh, helped raise us and my younger brother and my parents. And then two miles down the road was my aunt, her two kids, one being my cousin who also had breast cancer and um, my uncle, her husband who passed away a few years ago. But, you know, we're, we were this big group of support, I, I guess you could say. Um, and, and not always nice support, <laughs> like sometimes just silly, just funny. We really, you know, I remember there was one time in like my early twenties, my aunt had gotten uh, cancer when I was in college and sometimes maybe mid twenties, she called me and she's like, Rish, my cancer's come back. And it was just her idea of a joke. And I was like, that's not funny. So when she really got her cancer back, I was like, I know this isn't a joke. (laughs) So, um, you know, so I think we have found the humor in something that is so not funny if you really uh, sit down and start to think about it. But I think it's like a coping mechanism uh, that's important. But, you know, I think like the older school generation of Indian culture too is very stoic. And it's like, okay, this is what we've been dealt. We need to deal with it, not complain and move on. And I think sometimes it's healthier to be able to say, I understand this is not a good thing that's happening. I'm going to, I'm going to take some time to feel bad for myself. 
which I try and periodically do because you can't always be strong, you know? And then it, it is funny how people react to it. Like people always want to pivot to positive. Um, you know, they're like, I remember one of my friends uh, who's like a very good friend of mine, but you know, I got the gamut. Like people would tell me, Oh, my, you know, my friend had this and she's fine. My so-and-so had this and she's fine. She's doing great, blah, blah, blah. And this was all within two days of me getting it. And I was like, oh, I'm already supposed to be doing great. I was like, what if I'm not doing great? Like, is that okay? Like, I do not want this. And you know, the worst part, I think you can agree with cancer is you have to wait so long for test results. So when you first get diagnosed, you don't know if you're getting chemo or if you're getting a, a mastectomy or if you're getting um, radiation lumpectomy, you, you just are waiting at all times. So I would say like, for me, it was very, it was interesting, like trying to take in all the, not the junk, but like you, you find yourself, like when you tell people you have cancer, they like kind of, they, they kind of turn. Yeah. They don't know what to say. And if they haven't really had experience with it, especially for, you know, we're in our early thirties and for, you know, at least for me, many of my friends, if anybody got sick, it was, you know, and, and the older generation. Yep. And so they don't really know what to say. Yeah. And listen, I am, you know, I am such a, you know, the name of the podcast, happiness through hardship. I do believe in positivity. Yep. However, I will say ever since I can remember, and it didn't start with cancer. It's honestly, it started with like a silly boyfriend that sort of broke up with me. I'm not even sure he was my boyfriend, but we went out a few times in high school. And then he ended up going out with somebody else like weeks later. And I was like, my heart internally was crushed. If anybody from high school would be listening to this, I'd probably be like, who is this she's talking about? But um, nonetheless, like my heart was crushed, but I wasn't going to show anybody that, right? I kind of gave myself a few days where I was just like, I was upset about it. I didn't tell my friends that I was upset about it, but I was legit upset about it. And then I said, all right, okay, I got to move on. Now, that has been really a tool that I've used in years, like with my cancer experience, it's like as positive as I am, like you hear you got cancer, you're kind of in shock for the first time as a 31 year old. Right. And in my case, I had no family history, so it really did come out of left field. Yeah. But we, we knew we had to do something like, yes, I could have chosen to do nothing, but I wasn't, that's not me. I wasn't going to do that. I had to put one foot in front of the other. And so for me to cry as hard as I did those first two days, to be as miserable as I was those two days, it was, it'd be hard for me to put one foot in front of the other. So I've kind of called this like mourn without care period. Do what you need to do. If it's, you know, healthy-ish stuff, like eating a pint of ice cream, not that healthy, but okay, fine. No big deal. Not doing crazy (laughs) things. Like do, do what you need to do. But then at some point you do need to move forward. Yeah. I do believe, though, that there are a lot of well-meaning people, you know, the positive ones are not so, that are there being like, listen, everything happens for a reason. And listen, some people believe in that and that's okay. That's how they, you know, that's how they cope. Uh, But I think I learned really early on in my journey, and I think it was actually when I started, you'll appreciate this, Greenwich Hospital, which is... um, where Reshma kind of grew up living in the area. Yeah. And, and... 
they would give out my phone number to young people that were diagnosed early on because this was almost 20 years ago and people didn't have social media. And I learned from listening that not everybody wants me to say, hey, it's going to be okay. It's interesting that you say that. I I got a lot of like, I have a friend who has this and they're doing great and they're doing great. And it put this weird pressure on me to be doing great. And I didn't even have, um, you know, I tend to process things in general before cancer. It takes me like a year to, for anything to really hit me because I also grew up in an Indian family. And like I said, there's a stoicism there where you have to, oh, okay, fine. This shouldn't affect you. And I thankfully, you know, myself don't practice that anymore because I I read this article once that says the way the brain deals with trauma, it's actually very healthy to admit to yourself when something traumatic is going on. It's a way that your brain can process it better. It's, you know, like any mental health thing um, that you're going through, you don't want to repress what's happening, right? Because then you, that stuff builds up and then you have problems. So I agree. I like the kind of mourn with care and like, you know, and if it's more than two days and it's two weeks, great. That's fine. Right. Yeah, exactly. At a certain point, like there's ice cream, there's everything. And people really, you know, they're trying their best. Most people are trying their best. Nobody's going to come to you when you get diagnosed with cancer and not going to say something that is ill, like they don't mean well. You know, I, I like I said, I, I had a, one friend who's like, oh, you can probably get a new rack. And I was like, what's wrong with this rack? I love it. I'm really <laughs> yes. attached to it, literally. Um, and uh, what other what other things did I get? It was mainly it was mainly that like people are just like, oh, you're going to you're going to be fine. You're going to be great. It's like, am I? Do you know that? Um, and then the best advice probably came from my mom because another thing I don't know if you got this but I got my cousin who's an OBGYN called me and she's like you have to get your eggs frozen you have to do this you have to do this you have to do this and I was so overwhelmed I was like oh I have to get a lumpectomy I might need chemo I need to get my eggs frozen and I was like it was giving me such stress and my mom said to me at the time she was just like listen I think you need to not focus on things like that and just focus on like, you have cancer, you need to get rid of it. How are we going to directly do that? And so she was, she, she took it more as like one day at a time. And I think, you know, to this day, that was like probably the most valuable piece of advice I got. And I think if you stress is like the worst case scenario that we tell ourselves, right? And so I, one of my good friends, I was Googling something on the train and I started reading about it and I started like weeping on the train because it had all these side effects and, you know, they were considering ovarian shutdown for my treatment. And it said like, you'd have thinning hair, you'd have a uh, low, low libido. And I was like, oh my God, it's like on Metro North train. I was like, I'm going to be bald with no libido. And so my friends at that point said to me, you really need to not Google anymore. We'll Google for you. And that's actually very helpful. I think that's great advice for anybody going through anything you know, Google is not your doctor. Google is not your expert. Google brings so much information that some is good and some is not, but let your friends navigate that for you. Exactly. Friends and family. So that's the one thing I learned. um, And maybe from my first appointment, I think my cousin did this. Uh, She came with like a notepad and she was taking notes and none of us ever looked at those notes again, but there was like a comfort there because once you, I don't know if this was your experience, but once you hear um, you have cancer, you don't hear anything else. And so like, I didn't go to for years, I didn't go to one appointment by myself. And now I go to the all of them by myself, because I feel like I was like, I got this, like, you know, I do the they're, they're not my like the MRI is definitely not my favorite. Um, but 
I used to, for the two, three years after, my friends would just come and it would be, oh, Rachel has a cancer appointment. Let's go get drinks after. Or Let's go get lunch after. And it was more, you know, it was very comforting. I know once I had to <laughs> go to like the OBGYN and it was like two of my good friends and my brother brought cronuts in the waiting room and I had to go in for the procedure, but they were like having a cronut party. I was like, well, I'm glad you guys are having fun. <laughs> That's awesome. I I remember back during my first diagnosis when I was going in to get the IV treatments, my old roommate when I lived in New York, okay, and this has taken us back to like the early 2000s, she worked for L'Oreal. And so she sent a big, huge box of makeup to me. And she said, makeup, skincare products. And she said, I want you to walk in there and have a beauty party. I want you, you know, I want the, the nurses and the PAs and everybody just to be like excited that you're there. And, you know, we all know, listen, I have, I have been so lucky that I've had wonderful yeah. nurses, uh, but I don't think they expected that to happen, right? So when we came in and like, you know, and it wasn't, we could make this all picturesque. It wasn't like we were all putting makeup on each other, but there were so many different things and people were trying it and, and, and taking samples. And yeah. it was just, listen, not everybody needs to do that. But to your point is like doing something fun, whether it's you and the group or even the group is outside, yeah. you're saying eating the cronuts. I mean, you there you have to find the joy in the misery, right? I mean, I still remember the day before my lumpectomy, you have to get something called a breast seed inserted in for everyone who doesn't know that. Um, it's not very pleasant, the pre the pre surgery stuff. And I remember the one association association I have with it is that my friend Leah and my brother, they we got pancakes and my brother for some reason is very focused on food. In fact, Leah said she came <laughs> to the hospital when my family was waiting in the waiting room for my my lumpectomy. And she's like, just so you know, like they only talked about food while you were in there. They were talking about the lunch we were having. And then at lunch, when we finished lunch, they were like, what are we having for dinner? She's like, we talked about nothing but that. But that's the way people manifest stress, right? Like, yeah. do you want to talk about your daughter who's having cancer surgery? Or do you want to talk about, you know, tacos that you're having for dinner? And you said something that actually reminded me. I'll, I'll, I'll probably think of it again later. But it's just finding you know, you have to make it fun. Like, oh, one of my friends had hip surgery and I went to visit her and her friend was staying with her and we did face masks. I was like, you know, and the nurse walked in and we were like sipping on cocktails and having, and she had, well, she wasn't sipping on a cocktail. She was, okay, I'm stealing that idea. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That is awesome because I, I've tried to make, you know, calling it fun, as you're saying, is like making these, miserable experiences a little bit more joyful. When I go and I, it, it, to your point earlier, I do believe that when the stress hits and with an initial diagnosis, we don't remember anything. So going by yourself is challenging because you don't remember and there are all sorts of steps that one probably needs to do in order yeah. to, you know, go through with the treatment. Um, I've gotten to a point with my current treatment where I, and I have so many amazing friends that are like, Karen, we want to come with you. We'll make it fun. We'll make it fun. For me, part of making it fun is now I'm going into New York and I do have a nice support group of, group of people from when I live there. Yeah. And so my, um, one of my dearest friends who is also a business mentor of mine, she has met me and we walk down to the movie theater across from Bloomingdale's and we go and we watch a movie because when you get a bone scan, there's three hours of waiting. 
and you go and you get the the dye. It has to be, and it has to sit in your system for a few hours. So what can I do? You can't eat. So it's not like I want to go sit and get coffee because I can just drink water. And to me, both times I've done it, I've never seen the full movie, but that's part of the beauty of it because now Empire of Light was the first one I went to see. I can see the beginning of the movie because all I got was the second half. And that's great because if a movie has a sad ending, you'll never know. Well, right. You were like, nope, they lived. They lived in this movie. So, and it was, it really was, it goes back to it's kind of fun and it's kind of funny. Yeah. So, am I nervous? Of course I'm nervous. Do I want to be there? No, of course I don't want to be there. But I'm doing a little something that kind of gets my mind off of it. And yes, I could bring my, you know, the iPad, the phone and watch you know, insert favorite show days of our lives here. I think, you know, that's a good point. Cause I remember my last MRI, I don't think I brought any friends and I have it coming up probably in May. And I think you're right. I'm going to, I'm going to make it a little celebration with some friends. Um, and then we should just go do something afterwards. I love the movie idea. That's so good. And I just haven't, I hadn't been to a movie in so long. So it really did feel like it was something. A treat. Yes. A treat. So All right. I mean, this is in some ways what we're talking about are healthy distractions. And, you know, listen, if if, if you're out there listening and you're like, I don't want people to know, I don't want them to come with me. That's fair. That's fair. I think the biggest thing that I've seen in this kind of culture of you need to be strong, you're a warrior, you're Wonder Woman, everybody means well, but it's it should also be a reminder to us that like, We just need to be who we are. Mm -hmm. We don't need to sit there and, okay, you were just diagnosed with something bad. You don't need to be the the, the hero now. Yeah. You'll find too, when you were first diagnosed and you're telling people you're consoling them, like you're trying to make them feel better. And that's always, you know, um, and luckily most of the people in my family, because we've gone through it, I never felt that like internally with family, but with friends who haven't gone through this, you're like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be fine, I guess. Um, And then also know that people say really strange things, but it's sort of coming from a good place. I will use my dad as an example and he'll probably be like, why are you telling this story? But, um, you know, he said it. So he did the crime. One of my my cousins from London was visiting and I think this was around the time, probably like maybe I was a year out after having cancer. And it was like very clear that it would be hard for me to have children because I got put on tamoxifen for many years. And my my oncologist said to me in one of the earliest appointments, he's like, oh, I don't recommend pregnancy for you. It's like a hormone storm. Like, and, you know, I opted against like I didn't end up freezing my eggs because everything was moving so fast, you know. Um And my dad, we were in the car and he was really trying to, I guess, like identify or, you know, be empathetic, but it came out so wrong. And my cousin Radhika was in the backseat and I was talking and she was asking me, you know, she was very realistic. She knows how painful this is, what kind of, you know, when you realize that you can't. And and my dad's like, it's going to be okay. Something, something like annoying and dad like, and, and he's like, I was like, dad, you don't even know what you're talking about. So why are you even, and he goes, of course I know. I know exactly what it's like not to be able to have children. And so my cousin Radhika goes, I'm so sorry. I just want to point out, you said that to your daughter. So how do you know that? How do you know? And then he just like had to be quiet. He's like, well, I mean, I, I can imagine it's not, it's not fun. And I was like, okay, lead with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
I, I also think, okay, like it's your dad and you're laughing about it now and it's your dad. Um, <laughs> people say some really ridiculous things because they don't know what to say or they're trying to empathize or they're trying to make you feel better. Their intention's in the right place. Yep. I guess it just doesn't. I just, I wish I could say to people, because then there's on the flip side, there's a bunch of people that don't say anything. And that ends up being a little awkward too. And so I always just want to say, you know, if, if you're out there and you're listening to this right now and you're like, I don't know what to say to my friend, maybe just call or text and be like, listen, I don't know what to say. Yes. I don't have wise words. Yeah. But I'm thinking about you. And by the way, like, you know, I love green juices. I love green smoothies. So maybe somebody would be like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I know you love green juices. I'm going to drop one off the end of the week. Like yeah. just showing that effort. Exactly. What can I do? And you know, at the time I remember there were a lot of friends, some friends who, you know, there's this New York times article that said at any one point in our lives, one friend is always going to be going through something really serious. And they're kind of in the center of the circle because I had a lot of friends who I, uh, not a lot, but there, there are some people who I think have a problem like when the attention's not on them per se. And, you know, because you do get a lot of unwanted attention too during this time, but just know that if your friend's going through it and you're, you're, you're tired of hearing about it, imagine how tired they are of hearing about it, but just know it like the circle of support, you have to support them when they're going through this because there will be a time in your life where you are in the center for not a good reason. Um, and, and that's how like the support works. Like, you know, we, we're all rotating and we're moving along. Um, and, uh, we're not going to say like the most perfect things all the time. Just know this, never say to your child, I know what it's like not to be able to have children. <laughs> Cause that beyond everything else, it makes no sense. It's just, it's right. actually it, factually incorrect. It's actually incorrect. There are just so many different areas that make hardship and cancer yeah. so difficult. Yeah. Uh, but I, I guess what helps me sleep at night is thinking that most people mean well. Yeah. And, you know, some people flock to the drama of it. Um, some people shy away from from it because they don't know what to say. Yeah. I think I think at the end of the day, you know, again, it's one of those times where it's it's individual. I was fine telling people, but some people don't want that. Yeah. On the same note, sometimes through the roller coaster of all, I've had so much. People ask me how I am. I don't necessarily want to go into the details. I know. Sometimes you just you're like, here's the Cliff Notes version. I, I don't feel great most of the time, but uh, you know, I like also don't want to talk about it. I want to focus on something else. Cause that's like what my brain needs right now. And, um, I've had many friends reach out to me saying, thank you so much for like being so open and talking about your cancer. It's really helped me. I personally was diagnosed, but I don't want anyone to know. And I've had people reach out. And what I will say is you need so much of your energy to fight cancer and to take care of your family, um, or your, you know, work or whatever, and take care of yourself. I will say my recommendation is try and confide in someone um, or in a few people because they provide an outlet for you. And it's so necessary going back to that brain article for your brain to be able to process trauma. And you don't want your energy that could be going into healing into keeping something inside. 
when there are so many great reactions. Like, honestly, if I hadn't told anyone, my dad would have never said that statement that has really, really served me well, having to quote him all the time. And there's just funny things that happen. Like, this is, it it sucks. It definitely sucks. And it sucks to go through it twice. And it sucks when you think you're okay and it comes back, you know, in the case of my aunt. And there's, like, fear that comes along with all of us who are watching that. You know, she was the first and... I am definitely thinking, oh gosh, what if what if mine come not doesn't come back, but I get these other types of cancer that she did. But I think a lot of you don't want to put your energy into keeping things inside. There's something very therapeutic. Even if you don't want to tell friends or family, tell a therapist. Like use the resources at all these cancer hospitals and just go and say, Oh, I need to talk to someone. What resources are available? I need to tell like a stranger, even. Well, I mean that's Wonderful advice. I think, you know, to your point, that article, which we should, if we can find that article, we should put it in the show notes. It It sounds, it sounds great is it it becomes cathartic, even if you don't want to talk about it, to talk about it to someone. And even if you do pick somebody that's, you're really close with, that's a friend or a family member, they, you can then delegate. And I know that, that there's plenty of people that don't like to ask for help. It is amazing, though, when you let people help you. Let them help. How much it can make your Honestly, life easier. Honestly, that cancer card, you should use it. I did not use it enough, I feel like. And my brother was the first one to use the cancer card. I think I've spoken about this before. The night I got di- the day I got diagnosed, all my best friends came over, my brother, and we ordered Chipotle. And he went, he actually went to pick up all of our orders. And the one order he got wrong was mine. And my friend's like, now she has cancer and the wrong Chipotle order. (laughs) (laughs) There is no justice. Wow. I know. Um, But he was supposed to go out with some friends for a drink and he decided he didn't want to. I heard him out in the hall. He's like, yeah, my sister has cancer. And I was like, you had a real like melodramatic voice on there. He's like, yeah, I just didn't want to go to drinks. And I was like, oh my gosh. I can't believe you played the cancer card before I got a chance to play it. Yeah. Sometimes people need that reason. Like, are we at a place in society where we can really just say, no, I don't want to do this. Or yes. Sometimes there's so much obligation or, you know, in, in a good sense, friends just want you to be there. And, and sometimes no isn't enough. Yeah. And, and to your point, there's no correct way to be empathetic there's just your way and your friend is friends with you for a reason I mean maybe you are that friend that says really awkward things or maybe you are that friend that doesn't know what to say um and that would prefer to stay quiet but I will I will say to your point like it's just nice to know that people are thinking about you that they're seeing that you're going through a hard time and they want to help but don't know how to help so that's always nice to to get a, a call from someone being like, or text even if you're not a phone person, just text them and be like, I have no idea what to say, but I want you to know I'm thinking of you. And if you need anything, you want to go to the movies or you want me to pick up Starbucks. Um, I'll do I, that. I love when people add the ideas in there. Yeah. Because, you know, I think it's good. You know that your friends, people you're close with, your family will do whatever you need. But I just don't like asking for a favor. To me, it's like, it's not a favor, but yet it sometimes feels like it. But if someone said to me, um, I don't really know what to say, but I'm thinking of you. I'm here to help you out, whatever you need. And by the way, um, I'm making soup, Ooh. vegetable soup. Um, and it's been dreary and rainy and cold out. Um, why don't I drop some on Friday? 
that to me is a huge win because then yeah. I don't feel like I'm asking don't, for and something. Exactly. And don't say like, oh, no, you don't have to. Just say what kind of soup. That's all you need to say. What yes. kind of soup are you talking yes. about? So I love that idea. And I love your idea that making these cancer appointments, you know, finding the happiness and things that aren't generally known to be happy is key. So I feel like you and I should start a list from like, the face masks at the hospital to movie day or after my MRI, like doing an activity. I was just thinking maybe throwing axes, but I feel like my arm might be sore after from the IV. Oh, that's true. I did do that oh. right around when um, some of my stuff was changing Ooh. too. And it was funny because one person there knew and the other ones didn't. And it was a great, so the throwing axes thing is a big thing now. Yeah. So other distractions were what other distractions do you think could be out there? Like, again, we know you're not okay. You, we don't have to be okay. I love this. I love this idea of coming up with fun things to do to not not beat cancer, but kind of beat it down for a little bit so you're not thinking about it. Um, all right. There's bike riding. I, I personally like the spa element. Um, I love the soup element. What else could there be? Well, for me, you know, because I told her when we had a pre-call that some of the reason why I love the company that you work for is because not just that you've got She Knows, not just that you've got the fashion and the parenting, that you've got the soap opera on, what's it, soap.com. <laughs> and yeah. so for me, there was a time, you know, in, in middle school, we all watched soap operas because it was cool then. Yeah. In high school, maybe. In college, even the guys. Oh, even yeah. my first One of my, my first few jobs, I worked for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and we would go watch Days of Our Lives and eat our lunches in the boardroom. The uh, but then as we got a little older, I think people stopped watching. Yeah, you had to pull back a bit. You know, General Hospital, One Life to Live. I remember with my grandmother, we watched Guiding Light. I mean, it was... They were the best. Right. They were the best. And for me, as, you know, platforms have evolved, there was a time when I was working my, my corporate jobs. I've often worked a lot. And so I had a VCR tape that I would record and then the DVR. And, you know, it's hard when you know when you got a full life. I, I had a lot of VHS tapes with shows because, you you know, this is how old we are, guys. We're 98. Um, <laughs> you'd record on a VHS tape because you were at school or wherever where yeah. you really didn't want to miss like One Life Deliver Guiding Light or whatever. There was a phase, I can't even believe I'm going to admit this. I probably will oh, tell you, do. I'm going to probably have to tell you, delete, delete this from the record. But so there was a phase, there was a show called Silk Stockings on, which Silk? was like a Miami Vice cheesy thing with Rob Estes and I can't remember the actress's name. And literally, I loved it. But it was always on and I had to go away on vacation and I made my grandfather, my 80 year old grandfather. I had to go away on vacation. Okay. Yeah, or something. <laughs> I don't know what took me away, but I was like, I was like, Nana, this is how you use the, um, the VCR. I was like, this is how you program it. You have to make sure. And then you have to switch it out because it's like four episodes I'm going to be missing and I need to see silk stockings. I've never heard of it. I'm going to have to look it up. Oh, you're when you look it up, you're gonna be like, is this is this like 1990s weird porn? It wasn't, but it, they were detectives in like like crimes of passion. I don't even know how I found it. I'm gonna say to you as we're making this list of you know distractions and way when you're not when you're not feeling well, things that you could do. I would say to you, one of these days, maybe before your next scans. 
find the archives, whether it's your VHS tapes, which you probably couldn't play anyway, or I'm sure somewhere on YouTube. I feel like there's maybe. some VHS tapes in my parents' house, like in my closet on the top shelf. And I don't want to bring it up because my mom has been yelling at me already. She's like, so much of your stuff is here. Do you need yeah. all this? And I was like, I absolutely do need all the episodes of Silk Stockings. <laughs> I understand that they're probably on DVD somewhere, but those are very important artifacts. Uh, but even now, a DVD, a VHS, like you got to find a place to play it. Yeah. So I, um, no, I would keep that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> no, this this is this is awesome. I, um, I mean, this is awesome. All things considered, yeah, of course. I mean. But I, I think what, what what we're saying is what's worked for us is we're both. I'd like to say full of energy. Definitely, I lean towards the. I I lean. I tip towards the glass being half full, almost full, but. I also am very clear about there are just times like bad things happen. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be cancer. It could be anything. And we still are really our best advocates and to try and take care of ourselves, whether it's asking for help, whether it's going to, um, you know, a mental health practitioner, whether it's just doing something fun or eating that thing of ice cream you know, not for every day for 20 weeks. Treat yourself. Like, honestly, treat yourself and let others treat you. And then you can treat them back. If you feel guilty, like, oh, this is too much attention on me, then do something nice for your friend because that will give you just as much joy. Um, And I don't know. I just think like, you know, the where you and I are a little different. I see the glass half empty, but I want to figure out how to fill it up. So that's also a different type of positivity where we're like acknowledging this is not a great situation. Uh, it could be better, but everything yeah. in life could be better yeah. and could be worse. So, yeah. Well, I am so grateful that you were here to spend this time having this conversation. And as most of the listeners know who've heard me before, as I end every episode playing what I call the grateful game, it is a fun little game that my son and I created or we just started playing when he was nine years old and I laugh because yes I brought the big gratitude book in bed with him I think he saw it as an opportunity to stay up later Uh, however I will say fast forward to once we started using this mindful practice taking the moment to be present to then talk about what we found that we were grateful for in our day it became a habit and any type of mindful habit you know, I, I always say, like, did it cure my cancer? Well, clearly not. Is it going to move huge mountains? I don't know, maybe or maybe not. But at the least, it gave us an opportunity to find something that made us smile yeah. and feel good in that moment. Yeah. And so that's why I really believe in having some sort of mindful practice. And to us, it's about gratitude. Yeah. And so um, while we would go back and forth and say, okay, you've got three minutes, you know, list as many things you're grateful for and why um, that is, you know, realistically now he's 14 and now, uh, you know, the best thing I probably get is when I'm driving him somewhere. I'm like, Hey buddy, you know, what are you grateful for today? Tell me something good. And I'll get a short answer, but I still get it. And mm-hmm. it still meant, means he's thought about it. So I just want to toss it to you and tell us something that you're grateful for and why in the last 24 hours. Okay. So what I'm grateful for today is I took um, every every day at 12 o'clock, uh, my editor and I, I put it in our calendar as if it's a meeting. We go outside and we get some fresh air and it was beautiful weather today. And I know that's like, oh, you took a walk, but 
there is something so special because we only started it recently and the weather today was absolutely beautiful and I walked to the East River and I sat down and of course I realized as I was walking to get this breath of fresh air I was also missing a meeting so I had to do the meeting first (laughs) but the reason I also was so happy to be getting out of my apartment is I saw a mouse yesterday and and I feel like I live with this guy. He actually, I, I think he owns the apartment now. He came out right when the succession <laughs> credits were starting. So uh-huh. I call him Logan Roy. He's just like a, uh-huh. he, he's just a, like a little dictator mouse that's roaming my apartment uh-huh. right now. And I haven't seen him today. I'm sure it's because he's like waiting for us to get off this recording and then he'll pop out and you'll hear me screaming. That was kind of him because as much as it would be kind of fun to manage through that that right now, yeah. um, it, it's very nice of the mouse, but um, I love that. Yeah. So it's not, you know, I think today I was like looking, it was sunny, the water was like lapping and I was just like, oh, there's fresh air. And I just felt uh, like a freedom that I haven't felt in a little bit. And I'm excited working on some projects that are coming up. And I just got to take a moment where I stepped away from my office for a few minutes. I have no mouse near me. (laughs) I am mouse free. I am job free for a few seconds. And I'm just like inhaling this like fresh air. And that's kind of great. That's a beautiful thing. I have interviewed a, a therapist a number of them on the podcast before and one of them specifically said when I asked her I'm like what's one thing that you would tell anybody who's listening right now uh, if they're having a hard day what what should they do and she said go outside and look at the sky she said because the world is so big and so beautiful and you know I remember being a kid when I was little and being like oh I don't want to go you know outside or I don't want to do this or you know our parents forced us to play in the backyard Uh, but I think I've grown to appreciate in my older age and hopefully kids today they've got so many devices so this could be just universal any age you're at walk away from what you're doing the good stuff the shocking stuff or the mice that are in your apartment and go outside, take a deep breath, look at the sky. So I love it. So thank you so much for being here today. And for those of you who are listening, thank you for joining us today. We hope that you've you've had a little bit of clarity on what we've talked about in terms of this culture of you've got to be strong all the time. You don't. You don't. You just got to figure out your way. Sometimes it's easier for others, but hopefully that this has brought you a little bit of inspiration. And whatever hardship you're going through, we hope that you've been able to find joy during whatever journey that is you're going through in life. So thanks again, everyone. And bye for now. One more thing. I would be so grateful if you'd take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sending you lots of happiness and great health.